This is the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists in Cedar Falls, Iowa, and I'm your host, Kat Bean Hansen. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Today's message comes from our service on Sunday, January 29th, 2023. Pastor Emma Peterson delivers the message, The Iowa Sisterhood, The Legacy of UU Midwest Women Ministers. I find myself thinking often, sometimes spinning myself into a kind of franticness about all of the history we know nothing about, all the stories we've never heard, all those voices snuffed out by the booming, all-consuming voices of the men who write down what they will to be remembered. I wonder, too, about all of the things we've simply never learned about, histories that might be recorded somewhere that we will simply never stumble across. If I think too long and hard about it, I get spun up into anxiety about all the things we'll never have the chance to remember When I'm feeling proactive about this anxiety, I become inspired to dig into the sources that move me, seeking to grab fragments of the breadth of humanity there is to discover in the time that I have here on Earth. Today, we're going to learn about the sorts of remarkable women that are often lost to the tide of patriarchal remembering. The Iowa Sisterhood, a band of some 70 female Unitarian and Universalist ministers ordained in the 1880s and 1890s, who planted churches from Iowa to Colorado following the Civil War. These remarkable women were dismissed and maligned by Unitarian elites in Boston, but their passionate devotion to their faith and the heroism of answering their own call continues to amaze and inspire those who are able to learn about them even today. Reverend Mary Safford was born in Illinois in 1851. In 1852, Reverend Eleanor Gordon was born, and the two became neighbors and childhood friends. As a child, Mary often played preacher, standing on a tree stump to deliver her sermons. As the pair grew up, they pursued education at the University of Iowa and Cornell, respectively, where they know doubt faced discrimination and impediment from their male classmates. In 1880, Mary and Eleanor were ordained by a Unitarian church in Humboldt, Iowa, and the two became co-pastors. Mary's family was appalled by her conversion to Unitarianism and did not support her pursuit of her ministerial call. 
Eleanor's family was perhaps more tolerant, having encouraged religious debate in her youth, but for both women, the path was never easy. In history books, Eleanor and Mary are referred to as the best of friends, roommates, gal pals. Though most modern sources more accurately describe them as lifelong companions, the two are buried side by side in Illinois. Mary and Eleanor were instrumental in the planting of some 20 Unitarian and Universalist churches throughout the Great Plains. There were about 70 women ordained in UU Unitarian and Universalist churches by 1890, though their presence was immediately and continuously controversial within the institution. Their professional status was undermined by male leadership on the East Coast, and they were barred from positions of institutional authority. It was the women themselves and the communities they formed and fostered not the institution that endorsed their calling. In her book, Prophetic Sisterhood, Cynthia Grant Tucker writes that these female clergy were called only to the smaller or shakier congregations that men would not take and regarded by the denominational leadership as a blotch on their image and best kept on the organizational sidelines. Tucker continues explaining that these women succeeded in part because they cast their ministry as a sensible extension of women's roles. They spoke of themselves as mothers of congregations who were making good homes for their families by using not only their sympathies, but also their mental powers, business acumen, and understanding of world affairs beyond the kitchen and the nursery. If the conception of ministry as religious housewifery made the male clergy worry about being lesser men, it offered their sisters a chance to aggrandize their womanhood by elevating the sphere that had been theirs historically. I find this imagery of religious housewifery to be enormously compelling. In much of what I read in preparation for this message, allusions were made to the personalities of those making their homes in the harsh Midwest. Those whom the Iowa Sisterhood ministered to were not terribly interested in deep intellectual debates concerning the divinity of Jesus but were rather seeking community support, a place to lay down the burdens of one's heart and religious expression that comforted souls consumed with the plight of daily survival. I am moved today by these women clergy's embracing of their feminine wiles and their stubborn refusal to see these qualities as weaknesses. 
They were not trying to be like the men who dismissed their call. Rather, their call was intertwined by their female desire to nurture, to make a place feel like home, to elevate women's labor to its rightful place of reverence. In a paper written during her education at Star King, Reverend Dawn Sangre explores the moment in our Unitarian Universalist history when women surpassed men as the majority of ordained UU clergy. She explores the countenance of women, what might be our natural inclinations and what is certainly socialized in us that has drawn women to ministry and drawn congregations to women ministers. She interviewed a plethora of female UU ministers, each of whom is reluctant to stereotype and yet continually finds themselves returning to the same centralized point. Women, it seems, are imbued with a kind of realness, a quality derived from the stark differences between the lives of men and women that make us inclined towards relationship, collaboration, and understanding. I think that's what made the Iowa Sisterhood so effective in their endeavors of planting churches across the Midwest. The men in Boston desired debates and lofty intellectual exploration. They didn't have time for pastoral visits and the gradual building of trusting relationships. The people surviving in the frontier of the Midwest desired good old-fashioned religion, the comfort of universalist theology that embraces us all, and the Unitarian insistence on the individual pursuit of spiritual growth. They had all the Midwest practicality that makes space for the folks who are willing to do the necessary work to build community, a quality the Boston elite seemed to lack. The Iowa Sisterhood was successfully snuffed out by cultural shifts following World War I, though the efforts to disempower them began as quickly as the women had begun to organize themselves. Following the First World War, American cultural patriarchy desired a return to masculinity, and Unitarian elites were all too eager to follow the tide. Samuel Eliot became the president of the AUA, the American Unitarian Association, way back in 1898. He barred women from association leadership and founded a Unitarian secretarial school to discourage women from pursuing ministry. We can't preach in our pulpits, but you can lick our stamps and fetch our coffee, I guess. 
By the turn of the 20th century, Unitarian leadership had campaigned a return to masculine ideals within the faith in an effort to revitalize their flailing denomination. By the early 1930s, Reverend Eleanor struggled to find even a single congregation willing to call forth a woman minister. Female ministers were pushed out of pulpits into early retirement, while others left to pursue efforts of social justice, suffrage, and reproductive rights. These pioneering female clergy were not supported by the leadership in our religion's history, and yet their legacy cannot be dismissed. I can't help but draw a connection between these spirited, divinely called female ancestors and the swelling tide of UU women clergy beginning in the 1970s. Today, women ministers make up the majority of UU clergy. I'd like to think the spirits of the Iowa Sisterhood know this now and are proud of the ways they paved the path for us. Their heroism, though dashed in their time, continues to inspire UU women who answer the call to ministry today. This is not to say that sexism no longer impacts UU female clergy. We still contend with gendered expectations. Now, perhaps more than ever, female UU clergy straddle the line between pastoral motherliness and spiritual intellectual leadership, aware of the consequences of leaning too far into one or the other. In a recent article titled The Person in the Pulpit, UU Minister Reverend Kimber Kimberly Davis writes, something happened when women became the majority of ministers. The role changed from a learned profession to a helping profession. This is why you expect your brilliant, young, queer, female minister who is not a dude, by which she means not a cis man, to be soft and compliant, to be attending to pastoral care nonstop, and to still do governance and staff supervision and teaching and produce inspiring sermons and be in the public square and do the dishes. That basically describes the week I had last week. This remains a stubborn plight of women everywhere, the pressure to be everything to everyone. It is up to all of us who are together in this radical, expansive, progressive religion to nurture and encourage women who are brave enough to stand in the pulpit in the same way these clergy women nurture and encourage our religious communities. We must continue to hold in our awareness society's ingrained sexism and bring forth a conscious desire to resist its encouragement to, to dismiss, diminish, and discredit our female prophets, both passed on and still living. 
we are the ones who are now responsible for holding our history and for recognizing the way those who trod the path before us made right the path we walk today. Reverend Mary Safford believed that the human soul could not and would not evolve in solitude, but only within community. Mary Safford preached that community makes our common tasks divine. In our endeavors of community building, free from the blueprint of human dogma in orientation to our celestial potentiality, we bring about the kingdom of heaven on earth. May we recognize our struggles towards equity and opportunity throughout the broad stream of history. May we not forget those whose stories teach us where we might falter and how we might finally achieve justice and lasting harmony. May we honor the legacy of the Iowa Sisterhood as we pursue the work of the greater fellowship today, remembering those women who made way for a legacy of modern women who would answer our calls to ministry without obstruction in full confidence that the institution of Unitarian Universalism would endorse these calls without prejudice. May we all embrace the spirit of religious housewifery, designing our communities to be homes for all who desire shelter. Homes of the heart, homes of the spirit, homes of the open and the curious mind. May it be so because we make it so. Amen, and blessed be. This has been the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists. The music is by Nathan Moore. If you want to learn more about the CVUU, visit our website at www.cedarvalleyuu.org. And you can also find us on Facebook or Instagram at Cedar Valley UU. We welcome visitors from anywhere to virtually attend our services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you'd like to learn more about joining us for a service, send us an email at cvuupodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.